The second part of our reading today comes from um, Luke, verse 9, chapters 37 to 62. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seized him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely even leaves him, and it destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Whilst everyone was marvelling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. And he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes one to send me. For he is who I least amongst all you all. He is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent the messengers on ahead, who went into some Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hands to the plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Will you come and follow me? If I... So, um, in two chunks, we have our next section, um, our next section of Luke, Luke 9. And... To be honest, there is so much in this um, that um, I've, I've kind of picked a couple of themes because it's particularly that last bit that we've just had has got so many different parts to it, all of which could be a sermon in themselves. Um, but I'm just going to uh, set the context of where we've got to so far with Luke. And this is just in the last few chapters. And these are the, the kind of paragraph headings out of Luke. So we've had um, the faith of the centurion... Uh, We've had Jesus raising a widow's son, uh, Jesus and John the Baptist, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. We've had the parable of the sower. 
We've had a lamp on a stand. We've had Jesus' mothers and brothers. Uh, Jesus calming a storm. Jesus restoring a demon-possessed man. Jesus raising a dead girl and healing a sick woman. Jesus sends out the twelve, feeds the five thousand. Uh, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus predicts his death. So we've had a lot of activity. And to be honest, a lot of stuff which is quite difficult to understand. And we can see the disciples struggling with understanding this stuff. And we can see a little bit of tension. Um, and we get this in, in today's text as well. A little bit of tension and a little bit of, don't you just get it yet? Sort of frustration, really, from Jesus in some ways. Um, particularly with Peter, but also with the other disciples. Saying, have you not got it yet? Um, but we see in this a great glimpse of the glory of Jesus, don't we? Um, <coughs> the, uh, the word used for, the, for, that, uh, for that glory, or trans- translated as, or used as transfigure, is metamorpho. So, like we have metamorphosis. Or in a couple of places, it's, it's that. So, in the other Gospels, they use metamorphosis. Um, but uh, in Luke, particularly, they use a word which kind of means... Um, kind of means altered. So my question uh, this morning is, we see Jesus' glory, and we see him, it says, transfigured, but is Jesus different in this context? Is he different? What is it that they see of Jesus? Now, there's some, uh, there's some good reasons why Jesus didn't appear in his glory. Good kind of theological reasons, aren't there, um, that we can, we can discuss. We can, dis- we can talk about how Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. So if he'd have gone about being all that kind of glorious, um, that, that, would have, uh, that would have kind of, kind of not worked in the, in the theological terms, because he was fully man. So Jesus' glory was veiled. That's the kind of usual term that we use. His glory was kind of hidden. But there was this opportunity for the disciples just to see, just to see a bit, a bit of something, a bit of that, that glory, a bit of the light, a bit of, the, a bit of the Jesus that we see appearing again um, in the beginning of Revelation, where it's all light and power and glory. And as you can imagine, they are uh, quite impressed by that, uh, quite scared by that. But this was of its time, wasn't it? This was of the time when Jesus was on the earth. This was of the time when Jesus was living as a man. So it was a glimpse. It's a mystery, that this, this business of the glory. I, I haven't got any great explanations of it. Um, yet, what I know is that this is Jesus' character. This is the who he is. When we look at Jesus, and when those disciples looked at Jesus, they saw who he was. They saw the Jesus, uh, the heavenly Jesus, the Jesus who appears again in Revelation, but who also had been around even from creation. But my question is about this, this idea of being veiled. What if the veiling wasn't Jesus. Does that make sense? What if he actually always looked like that? It's just they couldn't see it. 
That was how I think this is the, I'm kind of putting forward a kind of idea, really. I think that's how it worked. I think Jesus was always like that. But they just couldn't see it. They just didn't get it. And Jesus says so many times to them, essentially, don't you get it? Don't you get it? And it's always this kind of enticement and this encouragement to, to go further, to go deeper, to see more of him, to, uh, to know more of him. That's what I see in this passage. But my question is, when we do see the glory, how are our reactions? Because um, this idea about building, uh, building tabernacles, um, it's, it, it's quite a sort of, um, you know, it, within the tradition, uh, within the tradition that the disciples knew, that Peter knew, to build a tabernacle, to... Um, you know, you see, you see it kind of through the through the Old Testament. They build a they build a thing, don't they? Something amazing happens, and they build a thing. Have you have you have you seen that? Uh, Moses did it. You know, all the way through. Uh, have a meeting with God. Build a thing. Um, so it's not, you know, it's it's not um, a, an unusual reaction for Peter to think, right? Uh, something amazing's happened. Uh, we've got to build a tabernacle. Uh, so you know, because a tabernacle like a tent, isn't it? But, but also, of course, the tabernacle was also like the temple. So it's like, it's, it's somewhere you build when you've seen some glory. It's where, it's where, it's where God is. Um, and that's, that's kind of a natural reaction. Um, but perhaps, um, and it says in the text, but, but, but Peter was a bit confused, a bit, it was kind of babbling. Um, he was just kind of throwing out these ideas. I don't really know how to deal with this. It's a bit too amazing for me. How about we build a tabernacle? What a great idea. Or a memorial. Um, I was in Aldersgate a couple of weeks ago. Uh, does anyone know Aldersgate in the city of London? Um, there's a memorial there. There's a memorial there to where John Wesley experienced God's glory, essentially. Um, it's a little plaque. It's about this big. I've put a photo of it on the Facebook page. It's, a, it's about this big. It's deeply unimpressive. Um, and, and it says, uh, John Wesley... Uh, experienced, ex, uh, experienced, uh, uh, had an experience of God where he felt his heart was strangely warmed. That's the, the words he used. Um, good, good Methodist words. Um, a massive understatement. Um, he, he had an experience of God. And, uh, and someone, I'm pretty sure, not Wesley, uh, came and um, put a plaque up. How many people do you reckon have become Christians by looking at that plaque? What do you reckon? Now, I, this is slightly rhetorical because I have no idea what the answer is. But I'm, I'm considering that it probably none. Maybe one or two. You see, the reaction to a meeting with God, the, the reaction to seeing God's glory, is not to build a thing, is it? Um, there's churches that are like this. The, the, the church where God did something once. Um, I don't want us to be a church that's like that. We built a building because we met with God once. Uh, it, was, it was 20, 30, 40, 100, 1,000 years ago. Um, I really don't want us to be a memorial to some people who once met with God, a memorial to where we saw God's glory once. That isn't the right reaction to God's glory. But there are so many other kind of human reactions, and right through Luke, there are so many human reactions 
They're having a row about who's going to be the most famous. Oh, this one crops up a few times, doesn't it? You know, I, maybe, you know maybe they thought that because they'd seen the glory, they were going to be famous now. Uh, they were going to have their name on a plaque. You know, uh, we, we the ones who saw the glory. And who's going to be first? Who's going to be first on the plaque? Or uh, worrying about, well, these guys aren't, aren't part of our group. All of these are a kind of human reactions, aren't they? Or worrying about the reasoning and the cleverness. And that, well, I'm not sure this is all tied down properly. Um, let's just get this all squared away, theologically. You know, um, I'm not sure about that. I'm pretty sure this isn't the kind of reaction that is required. And then they have this experience of this kind of cloud, um, this cloud of godness around them. And the father says this. He says, this is my son, listen to him. So when we meet with God, so often we react from ourselves. We do what we think is right. We do what our feelings tell us. But we should be listening to the glorious one himself. Doing the things he said. You see, the glory of God is not designed to be contained in a, in a temple anymore. Or a, or a memorial, or a tent, or a building. God's glory is designed to be in you, in us. We're the temple now. We're the place for displaying God's glory. And that is exceedingly powerful. And the way we do that is to do the things that Jesus did. To say the things that Jesus said. To display the glory of God in our lives. But there's more of this. Why was God's glory, why was Jesus' glory not displayed while he was on the earth? Jesus said this, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And then there's a kind of note that says, in this he was referring to his death. Now what does that mean? That means that the glory that Jesus wanted us to see, the time when uh, his glory was revealed, was not in the kind of light and the kind of show stuff, amazing though that is, he kept that under wraps for us at the time. But the glory of Jesus was when he was lifted up on the cross. That was it. That was the display of the glory. The manner that Jesus was glorified was in the cross. Amazing act of love and sacrifice where Jesus died for us and expressed his love for you and for all of mankind.
This is what Colossians 1 says, uh, verse 15 to 21. The Son son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. That's what Jesus wants us to look at. That's the glory he wants us to see. You see, through the cross, we can experience the light. We can experience the awesome power of Jesus because we can know him. Because we can spend time in the presence of God. We can live in that glory. We can be in that glory at all times. So what's the application of this for us? Here we are after the cross, after Pentecost. We can be people, kind of like Raj was saying as as we opened our worship, we can be people who can shine. We can be people who can display the glory. I've been thinking about this a little bit because um, we've also got uh, the idea of being a lamp on a stand, you know, um, and we've, we've had this again, and uh, uh, I love talking about this particular bit, so it was never going to be missed out. Um, you know, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl, do you? Or put it in a bucket. You put it on a stand. So it's our job, like, like Jesus was, to be lifted up, to be out there, to be displayed. But he, came, he went first. He went first, displaying his glory, being uh, lifted up on a cross. That is the glory of Jesus. That it is love that it is sacrifice, that it is his character that will draw people. Not to be impressed by how amazingly powerful he is, though he is, and that was great in itself. But it is his cross, his sacrifice, Jesus' nature, Jesus' character, Jesus' love, which is the glory that is to be displayed. And it's our job to display that glory. It's our job to shine that out in our lives because we are living in that glory and in that presence. And we are demonstrating and showing his amazing uh, love for us and uh, for the world. 
So I'm just going to finish with this bit, which is called a call to perseverance in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of the faith that, of assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we, have, we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's live in that presence. Let's spend our time in that presence. And let's be like Jesus. Let's be lifted up and show what he's done for us. Amen.